Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is number one New York Times best-selling author, Chris Bojalian. He is the author of 23 books, including Hour of the Witch, The Red Lotus, Midwives, and The Flight Attendant, which has been made into an HBO Max limited series. His new book is The Lioness, which is published by our friends at Doubleday. Chris, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jason. Great to chat with you. Yeah, great to chat with you too. It's an honor to have you here. And Chris, first, how are things in Vermont? Has the area emerged from the coronavirus or are things still locked down up there? And how have you personally been doing these past couple of years? Okay, I'm going to tell you a lot. All right. As we're recording this, I just flew in from Los Angeles Mm -hmm. because last night was the premiere party for season two of The Flight Attendant. Nice. We weren't able to have a premiere for season one because season one premiered Thanksgiving of 2020. So Mm -hmm. this was our celebration. Nice. And it was glorious. It felt rather pre-COVID. We had unbelievable COVID protocols in place, including same-day testing mandatory, Mm. you know, vaccinations mandatory, which was great. Mm. Vermont is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Vermont is a great place to be in quarantine because I spent most of 2020 in the woods with my beloved dog, Mm -hmm. in the meadows, Mm -hmm. hiking. It was cataclysmic, of course. Mm Because, A, hundreds of thousands of people were dying. Mm -hmm. By the time this podcast airs, we will probably hit a million dead in the United States. Mm -hmm. And that's soul-crushing. That's devastating beyond belief. And Mm -hmm. I felt really blessed and privileged to be living in Vermont while my heart was breaking for ER doctors, for people on the front lines, and yeah, for people in the dramatic arts. I mean, my daughter is a young actor and her Mm. career was just taking off in March of 2020 when for all actors, it just went to hell in a handbasket. And for those of you who come to Quail Ridge often, and have heard me speak at Quail Ridge over the years, you might notice that my voice is different. Mm. My voice is a pandemic casualty. Mm. My voice was fine in February, 2020 Mm. and gone Mm. in March of 2020. Literally one day it was fine and then it was gone. Mm -hmm. The diagnoses are as varied as coronavirus mutations. Mm -hmm. But the latest one is that it is a weird long haul symptom of COVID. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now I need no sympathy. I'm I'm fine. I function. I'm about to go on a book tour. And as my voice therapist has said to me, and I'm going to mimic her because that neurologically helps, Mm -hmm. even when your voice is total bowel movement, 
<laughs> Even when you sound like Grandpa Simpson, uh, 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 <laughs> you're a big ham. Your mm. voice is interesting and you have interesting things to say. So you deserve no sympathy. You are not opera singer. This is not career killer for you. So get over yourself. <laughs> right. That's fantastic. Well, thank you, Chris. And yeah, I, um, I got COVID about, I guess, right when the Omicron variant started hitting and my voice was all kinds of messed up for um, several weeks, not anywhere close to the year or two that you're suffering, but I do know that it's a symptom. Um, and I have to say, uh, listeners, you can't see us right now, but I can see Chris and he has a wonderful bookshelf behind him. And um, two of the titles that are jumping out at me are Tree of Smoke and The Orphan Master's Son, uh, two of the better books that have come out in the past couple of decades. So, are those books amazing? They are. They're so good. I'm, I mean, we will miss Dennis Johnson. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, mm, yeah. he's a fantastic writer, a uh, fantastic guy. I used to teach um, his short story, Emergency, when I taught English back in a different lifetime. Um, yeah, great stuff. Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, let's now dive into your excellent new book, The Lioness. First, a quote by Orson Welles, which you uh, used to open your book, which is, if you want a happy ending... That depends, of course, on where you stop the story. Tell me, Chris, why did you choose this quote and what does it mean to you as you frame these moments of your characters' lives? And how is Orson Welles relevant to your story? I chose that Orson Welles quote for two reasons. Mm -hmm. First of all, because the lioness is in part about Hollywood's golden age. Yeah. It's set in 1964. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I chose it because it's about a group of Hollywood actors mm -hmm. and their entourage who go into the Serengeti on a honeymoon safari. Mm -hmm. And it all goes to hell in a handbasket. Mm -hmm. And sometimes books and movies have happy endings, as Orson Welles observes, mm -hmm. and sometimes they don't. Mm -hmm. There are 11 principal characters in this book. Some of them have happy endings. Mm. Some of them don't. Mm. I mean, there are, most of my books have a lot of dread. And I've mm. never been adverse to killing a main character. Mm. And you can see both of those attributes of my fiction on mm. display in The Lioness. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Chris. Um, now let's talk about the opening to your novel. The opening reads, quote, Oh, I can't speak for the dead, and I won't speak for the missing. I can only tell you what I think happened. Others, the dead and the missing, would probably have their own versions. Blame, I can tell you firsthand, is every bit as subjective as the truth. End quote. Chris, can you unpack this opening paragraph for us? And by way of doing so, set up your novel, The Lioness, for our listeners. Sure. Thank you. It's 1964, and imagine a fictionalized version of Natalie Wood or Elizabeth mm -hmm. Taylor, in this case, Katie Barstow, Hollywood's biggest female star, finally gets married, and she decides to bring her entire entourage with her on this great honeymoon. Mm. Um, it's 1964 and in East Africa, like the rest of the world, it's a world in transformation. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Not a spoiler. They are abducted by Russian mercenaries early into their safari. Mm-hmm. Um, the mercenaries on their way to the Congo. Imagine the Poisonwood Bible meets, and then there were none. Mm-hmm. And now it's the present in the opening. And the passage you just read mm-hmm. is one of those 11 characters. Mm-hmm. You don't know who, mm-hmm. and you don't find out who until the last page. Mm-hmm. And that character, he, she, they, is saying, it all went to hell. Mm-hmm. We did our best. But obviously, a lot of us didn't get out alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of sets that sort of Damocles, that moment of dread that that fuels this book and gets it going. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I said a moment ago, sort of the comps are the Poisonwood Bible meets and then there were none. But I love mm-hmm. the way Jordy's book club said, no, it's Evelyn Hugo meets Jurassic Park. Ah, yeah, <laughs> nice. There you go. I mean, I mean, everything the animals do yeah. in this novel mm-hmm. are things I saw animals do on the safari. I went yeah. on to research the book other than devouring human beings. Right. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. My, um, my uncle went on a safari uh, several years ago and had some sort of revelation where he's like, the world is just a giant stomach and we're all being, um, <laughs> <laughs> we're all being eaten. Um, that was a very interesting observation. Well, thank you, Chris. I now want to talk about uh, the opening scene where actress Katie Barstow is watching giraffes at a watering hole and she is no longer awed by their presence as she was even four days prior. My question for for you, Chris, is what does this fact that she is no longer awed by this majestic sight uh, that is unfolding before her, that is not any older than four days, uh, what does this tell us about her character and also about human nature in general? Yeah, um, the thing that struck me personally about the safari Mm -hmm. is first of all, you really discover Mm -hmm. how small we are on this planet. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, for a safari, for a human being, mm-hmm. it's rather like taking heroin. First, you need just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Then you need more and more and more. I can remember my first day, I'm looking at wildebeest mm-hmm. and thinking, oh my God, look at those wildebeest. Mm-hmm. Look at that herd of zebras. Mm-hmm. But by day four, Seeing wildebeest and zebra for me was rather like seeing, you know, the golden lab at the park mm-hmm. in Raleigh, seeing, mm-hmm. you know, um, a couple of dogs at the dog park in Madison Square or seeing, or for Vermont, it's like, oh, there's some deer. Mm-hmm. Great. I see deer all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so for Katie, for when she first sees giraffes, she's in awe. But by day four, she's seen a lot of giraffes because humans are in their world. And um, the giraffes have gotten a pretty fine-tuned sense of danger. Mm. And most giraffes have figured out that humans, most of the time, don't mean them harm. So Mm. one or two will watch carefully, but then seven or eight will just go about their business. So... Mm. 
it's not that Katie is jaded. It's that Katie is human. So mm. by day five or six, to really get the safari adrenaline rush, mm. you don't need giraffes. Mm. You need to see the lion taking down the wildebeest. You mm. need to see the crocodile crunching in half a mm. Thompson's gazelle. It's morbid, mm. but it's reality. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for that answer. Chris, uh, next, I have a question for you about formatting. Um, and this is a writerly question as opposed to a readerly one. Uh, chapters are named after characters, even though the story is told somewhat linearly. Uh, there are, of course, flashback scenes, but the story pretty much moves forward uh, from chapter to chapter. Can you please tell us about your decision to format chapters in this way by naming them after characters? Yes, great question. I knew I was going to have a lot of characters. Mm -hmm. And I never, ever wanted readers to think to themselves, wait, is this the publicist? Is this the manager? Is this one of the actors? I wanted it to be really seamless. So I did two things. First of all, in addition to what you said, which I'll come back to in a minute, mm -hmm. I've never done this before, but as if it's a play, the book begins with a cast of characters, in mm -hmm. this case presented as the Safari Registry. So you knew who everyone is, who's married to whom, who's sleeping in what tents, who are the guides, who's in charge. Secondly, as you said, each chapter begins with a character's name. And that mm -hmm. chapter is from that character's perspective, third person subjective. Mm -hmm. um, and each chapter begins where the previous chapter ends, pretty much, but from a mm -hmm. different character's perspective. Yep. And most chapters are divided into three pretty seamless parts. Mm -hmm. The present, what's occurring in the Serengeti, a flashback to that character's life in Hollywood, that's the middle part, and then the third part, a return to the narrative drive, what's occurring. So I don't remember how many chapters there are exactly, but there are 11 main characters at the beginning and each character gets a chapter. Some people die. Hmm. The remaining characters get their chapters. Some more people die. The remaining chapters get, characters get their chapters. So we really are a funnel to the final survivors. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thank you so much, Chris. Listeners, we are going to take a short break here for a word from our sponsor. And then I will be right back with Chris Bojalian. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. 
Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Chris Bojalian, author of The Lioness, which is published by our friends at Doubleday. Chris, I'm hoping that you can talk about setting a little bit more by way of the fact that these folks in your novel are very much in the middle of this wild terrain. Uh, But there are people that come and create sort of a pop-up civilization for them for the time that they are there. Um, Can you talk about this, what the process of creating these spaces entails and what it means for the land surrounding these spaces? Yep. Um, There are many kinds of safaris. Mm -hmm. The kind of safari in this book is the sort of classic high-end, originally began as a hunting, Ernest Hemingway-esque safari, Mm -hmm. where um, a group of people descend into the Serengeti, And they depend upon people who live in Kenya, Tanzania, Mm -hmm. um, wherever the safari is going to be, to be able to bring a dollop of civilization into the wild. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you might look at the world prior to the humans arriving and you'll see some cop cheese, some rocks, mm-hmm. some baobabs, acacia trees. And maybe in the distance, you'll see a herd of wildebeest and zebra. And in the space of hours, somewhere between six and 16 people will construct the tents, set up the beds, figure out the showers, or in the novel, the canvas tubs. Mm-hmm the mess tent, the kerosene-powered ice maker, because God forbid you should be in the Serengeti and not have a proper chilled gin and tonic. God forbid. There is something about it that is unbelievably colonial and distasteful. Mm -hmm. And there is something about it that is unbelievably magisterial Mm. now most of the people who are involved um, in the construction of a photo safari in 2022 are first of all conservationists secondly they do what they do because they love the land and they understand to quote a book from the 1980s that the Serengeti is the last great place on earth. Mm. And while in 1964, a lot of of East Africa is recreating the revolutions of Europe, the UK and North America a couple hundred years ago and are in great bloodshed, Tanzania wasn't. Tanzania figured out in 1964 what today we call ecotourism and managed to 
um, escape the confines of colonialism to create the world of, of Tanzania and preserve the Serengeti. Mm. The Serengeti in 2022 mm. looks very much like it looked in 1964, with the exception of the fact there are a hell of a lot more Land Rovers out there. Mm. But the goal is the same. Preserve this wildlife. Um, preserve the culture of the Maasai. Mm. And have a world of echo tourism. Mm. Um, so very much like in North America, when you become a guide in the Serengeti, you're doing it because you love the world and you want to share the world with people who otherwise would only see it on the Discovery Channel. Yeah. Thank you so much, Chris. Um, next, I want to talk to you about your character, Katie, and her mother. Um, what was the nature of their relationship, especially as it pertains to exercise and food? And what does that type of mother-daughter relationship uh, built around these things mean? What does it often turn into? My characters are so scarred. Uh -huh. Not just in The Lioness, mm -hmm. but in all my books. I mean... Mm -hmm. Look at the flight attendant, Cassie Bowden. I love Cassie. But mm. her story is a story of bad choices mm. because of her childhood demons. Yeah. Look at the Red Lotus. Alexis Rudnick, my hero, in ER Doctor, has her own scars. Mm -hmm. So in a book like The Lioness, some characters are scarred more than others, and some transcend their childhood wounds better than others. Katie, Katie Barstow was a childhood star on Broadway hmm. in the 19, late 1940s and 1950s mm -hmm. because her father was a Broadway producer and figured out that his kid had great talent. Mom did too. And mom was one of those super scary stage moms mm -hmm. who figured out early on that, okay, my kids got talent, but we are going to coach her. We are going to make sure that she eats right. And eating right for Katie's mom isn't eating a lot of fruits and vegetables. It's giving the kid an eating disorder to make mm -hmm. sure that she remains of a certain size mm -hmm. and a certain body type. Um, she is controlling. And one of the reasons why I love Katie Barstow as a character is because Katie reaches a point as a very young woman when she says, no, 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 nope. I am who I am mm -hmm. and I'm going to Hollywood. And I'm going to Hollywood because it's three time zones away from you. I'm going to Hollywood because I want to act, but I want to act on my own terms. Mm -hmm. She is very, very much like a lot of this really strong, courageous actor, female actors of the late 50s and 60s 
and the present, carving her own path and doing it her way. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Chris. Um, I next want to ask you a question about a quote. And this quote is about Russians, uh, Soviets. The quote is, my father thought it was madness, but he's always been very clear. Don't underestimate the Russians. Not ever. The Soviets are much better at spying than we'll ever be. He says they're a far more insidious foe than the Nazis, who quite literally wore their horribleness on their sleeves. End quote. Uh, Chris, I know you wrote this before the current situation with Russia and the Ukraine. How did this quote about the Russians pertain to the time that your novel, The Lioness, took place in? What was the context when you were writing it before this war in the Ukraine? And how do you think that passage will be read now? Yeah. My books, even my contemporary thrillers like The Flight Attendant, Mm -hmm. or the Red Lotus are grounded in history. Mm -hmm. And I used to joke, and it's not a joke anymore, but I used to joke that Vladimir Putin was horrible for the world, but a great device for novelists and movie Mm -hmm. makers because the guy was a frigging James Bond villain. Mm. He literally poisoned people with radioactive tea. Mm. Well, now we know that he is worse than a James Bond villain. Um, We know that he is a true descendant of Joseph Stalin Mm. in all of the most horrific ways. Mm. When you look at Kharkiv and Mariupol, your heart breaks. When you look at the courage of the Ukrainians, your heart breaks. Mm. So going back to that quote and Russia, the fact is, and you saw it through the 2016 election, the Russians understand spycraft. Mm. The post-Soviet Russians understand cyber warfare. In the 1960s, the Russians weren't Boris Badenov from Rocky and Bullwinkle. Mm. The Russians were way smarter than that. They were infiltrating MI6. Mm -hmm. They were infiltrating the CIA. Yes, we were trying to infiltrate um, the FSB, the NKVD, the KGB. But the thing about the Russians when it comes to the Cold War um, is they were the kings and queens of spycraft. And I do not want to diminish what we do because the United States produced some great spies too, and we too did our horrible things as spies. Mm -hmm. And that too is in the lioness. There is stuff in the lioness about one of the CIA programs involving LSD that is mind-blowingly awful and mind-blowingly weird. Mm -hmm. But that quote gets at one of the points that I make in the the lioness 
about the Russians and spycraft. Mm. Um, I mean, okay, I once gave a speech at the Kremlin. Mm. And when I was checking into my hotel, and it was a great hotel, mm. the person who's checking me in, a lovely young woman, insists on bringing me up to the room. Mm. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, for crying out loud, do they really think this is a honey trap mm. and that you want to waste your time on a honey trap on a super happily married novelist? Mm -hmm. But she, you know, she brings me up to the room and she's showing me all of the stuff in the room. And her point of this wasn't just hospitality. Mm -hmm. The point of this wasn't just showing me how the blinds work, how the TV works. Mm -hmm. Before she is leaving, she hands me the card, the, you know, the room key card, mm -hmm. and on it, she has written in English, beware, cameras everywhere in your room. Ah, yeah. Well, um, good for her. Um, you know, uh, not everyone would do that. And, and I had a long time ago when I traveled to China, I had some sort of similar situations, but not to that degree. Um, but yeah, it's a crazy world out there, isn't it's it? It's a crazy world. Yeah. Um, my next question, Chris, is about retirement savings. Um, a question my wife and I have been talking about lately. Uh, the character David is imagining his parents, I believe, and mentions their dream retirement in Florida, which is followed by a thought of how little money they have been able to squirrel away. Uh, apparently, you write, and David thinks, uh, it was going to be a photo finish to see what happened first after he, David's father, retired. Uh, he and his wife would die or they would go broke. Uh, Chris, can you talk about this and about the idea of retirement in general, I suspect in this economy, uh, there are a lot of folks who are unprepared. Yep. Um, one of the maxims in this world mm -hmm. is judge a culture by how they care for the elderly. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I worry about not personally, mm. but culturally, mm. is how we care for people as they age. Mm. And you can see it in all of the ways that the healthcare system often lets down the elderly, mm. in all of the ways that parents sacrifice for their children and their children's college education only for themselves to be left bereft at the end. Mm. And I think that's a legitimate fear for so many Americans. And it's mm. something that, that um, as a culture, I sometimes wonder if we address sufficiently with so many other horrors we need to deal with. I mean, my God, how can you worry about elderly retirement when you realize that four and a half million Ukrainian children have been displaced, when a million people have died from COVID, when 
We had a bloody in, in the bloody is not hyperbole. Hmm. Bloody is a precise adjective. We hmm. had a bloody insurrection on January 6th. Hmm. And the people behind it have not yet been held accountable. Hmm. And yet, and yet, there are still elderly Americans in this country who are eating cat food for dinner. Hmm. Yeah. What a shame. Um, and, you know, um, in Vermont, there at least you're just like a hop, skip, and a jump from Canada if you need to be, right? <laughs> um, oh, easier said than done. Yeah. The first time sure. I got to go to Canada. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. The pandemic begins March of 2020. The first huh. time I got to Canada was September of 2021 when my wife and I um, got out of Vermont for virtually, I think, the first time since mm -hmm. the pandemic started when we went to Banff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I got to tell you, that was a great world because wow. in September of, of 2020, mm -hmm. everyone in Banff was like vaccinated. Right. It was great. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Chris. Um, finally, and we have barely touched upon the surface of this book, The Lioness, but here on Bookend, we like to leave things unspoiled when possible. Uh, we want our listeners to buy your book from Quail Ridge Books or quailridgebooks.com and enjoy it as much as I did. But I want to talk about a scene between David and Katie, uh, where there is a conversation that both reveals that Katie did not go to college and that there would be a date in their future or a next date without either of these things being explicitly stated. Uh, one of my former creative writing instructors, my friend Marcel Krickenberger, would give us an exercise in our classes where we needed to reveal something in a scene without writing it or stating it explicitly. Uh, can you talk about these types of scenes or these types of moments in life where things are said without being said? It takes a certain amount of skill to pull this off. Well, as Scott Fitzgerald said, mm -hmm. action is character. Mm -hmm. You know, show, don't tell is you know, one of those, those great, great maxims mm -hmm. in writing. And they're cliches, mm -hmm. but often cliches have a lot of truth to them. Yes. And so um, a lot of what I write hinges on one decision. Do I show the scene or do I implicitly suggest the scene, and I'll, I'll come back to that scene you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. When I really want to show the scene, it's often, and I'll, I'm not going to reveal too much, but there's a scene where two characters who are already deeply physically wounded mm. are fighting off hyenas. Mm. And I wanted that scene to be visceral, and I wanted readers cinematically to see every moment in this fight for survival mm -hmm. that's a classic case in my kind of work for show don't tell mm -hmm. and then going back to action as character the scene you just mentioned mm -hmm. david hill gallerist rodeo drive and katie barstow a-list actor are on this date and they're talking about the fact that um, Katie has this weird 
deep dive knowledge about ostriches. Hmm. And David is really impressed and says something inadvertently condescending because he has been to a great college. And he realizes that he's put his foot in his mouth when Katie rather, you know, politely, you know, points out that, you know, I'm not a doofus. Hmm. And um, <clears throat> he talks about wanting to learn more about what she knows and that he's going to go to a neighbor's who have some encyclopedias because they have children. Remember encyclopedias? Mm. Those oh, great yeah. dinosaur relics that were just taking up whole bookshelves and were so much fun. I miss mm -hmm. them. Um, anyway, and Katie's response implies that she was, still wants to see him again. And it's a really short sentence, but it's mm. one of those short sentences that um, I can remember. You know, my wife and I have been madly in love since we were 18. You know, I can mm -hmm. still remember those first dates when we were 18 years old. And, you know, when she'd say something that led me to realize, oh, thank God, I've got another date with her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Chris. And thank you for writing this wonderful book. I cannot wait for our listeners and our customers at Quail Ridge Books to get a hold of it. Oh, listeners. I, I, yeah. oh I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut no, you off. I'm no, sorry. please. You go ahead. I just wanted to, to say thank you so much for your unbelievable questions. They were great. I had a wonderful time. I want to thank everyone at Quail Ridge. It's one of my favorite bookstores on the planet. Once when I was there, and this is just, I mean, I've probably been there six or seven times on tour. Um, the Armenians of Raleigh brought in all this great Armenian food unsolicited. And it was just this glorious, glorious event. Fantastic. Chris, I hope we see you uh, around Quail Ridge Books sometime in the near future. Um, hope so, too. Yeah. Listeners, I've been speaking with number one New York Times bestselling author, Chris Bojalian, author of The Lioness, which is published by our friends at Doubleday. Chris, thank you so much for joining me. Once again, I would like to thank Chris Bojalian for joining me. Copies of The Lioness can be ordered from www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping for members of Readers Club Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jefferies and this has been Booking.